Let me ask, I've been wrestling with this question. And, and you probably haven't wrestled with this question. You're more spiritual than me. Why is it that more rarely satisfies? You know, why is it? You know, because live in a world where you go, you know what, if I just had blank, then I'll be what? Yeah, yeah, if I just had the right girl or the right guy, if I just had the, the right marriage, why is it that more rarely satisfies? And I had an encounter as a kid, really as a high school student. I went on a missions trip, and, and I remember seeing something that has left uh, just a deep imprint on me and, and left me wrestling with our current reality in America, our current reality, especially in the Silicon Valley. And as a, as a high school kid, our, our high school group would go to Mexico and build houses. And I mean, I have lots of memories. One was at one point, there's about 100 of us high schoolers. And they asked us to share our testimony in front of all the other high school students. And I was the pastor's kid. And they said, Ryan, would you share your testimony? I was like 16 years old. And I said, sure. And I, I, at that point, didn't feel like I had much of a testimony or a story about how God had changed my life. And so I got up and made it all up. I literally told one big lie about my story of how God saved me from drugs and alcohol and sex and, and I mean, the whole, the whole deal. <laughs> I know, I know. Another thing left an imprint, though, on that trip is as we're down there in Mexico, you'd see these families who had nothing, who didn't have any indoor plumbing, who didn't have any uh, electricity, whose houses were made by leftovers. And, and what is struck in many of us on this trip, and I've gone on many trips since, and it still hits me to this day, was the, the level of joy those with nothing had I'm like, no, 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 you don't have, even have a Walkman, because that's what I had. You don't have a Walkman. How can you have joy? You don't even know the band Nirvana, which was my favorite band in high school. Anybody? Any? No? Okay. Okay. And so then coming back into the U.S. as a 16-year-old made all these grand commitments that it never made, you know, never fulfilled, I was like, okay, I don't need my Walkman anymore. I'm going, to give the, I'm going to give everything away. But over and over, every time I get into a place, I realize, why is it more rarely satisfies? Why is it that those who seem to have less are filled with more joy, are filled with more contentment? Why, why, why is it? Why is it that those who have more seem to be empty of joy and empty of contentment. You know, I think one of the reasons why is we've missed an incredible verse or section in the Bible. We're actually going to spend the next three weeks unpacking it. It's three verses, three weeks. And, and in this, it, it, it's, a, I believe, a revolutionary way for us to begin to engage life. It's the, literally the generous life. And, and I believe it's a word from God to those in the Silicon Valley especially. 
because this is written by a guy named Paul. He's the Apostle Paul, and he grew up really wealthy and then followed Jesus, lost it all, and he's writing to this young pastor uh, named Timothy. And, and Timothy is there overseeing this church in Ephesus, and Ephesus was this city. It was this port town that was the gateway to Asia Minor, and so it was like Rome's like headquarters in Asia Minor, and from Ephesus, all Rome wanted to like spread all of Roman culture uh, through there. It was incredibly wealthy, incredibly influential, and people would travel all around the world to visit Ephesus, and Timothy's here. And Paul writes to him, leading this church in one of the most influential cities of the world of that day, outside of Rome, kind of sounds like the Silicon Valley, and here's what he had to say to them, and here's what I think we miss, and why, why more doesn't always or rarely satisfy. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. If not, it's in your notes. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is it's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who, who, what does he do? He richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share in this, in this way. They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. In this section, I believe uh, there's a revolutionary way that's an invitation for us to live differently, to live courageously, to, to engage our world and what we have at such a deeper level that if you, did you see it at the very end? In this way, so that they may take hold of what? Life. That's truly life. Life that is filled to the brim. He's saying those in the most influential town, in the most influential places, there's some things that you need to understand and embrace. And when you do, you'll experience life, satisfaction, fulfillment. See, our current culture says this. When we answer in this question, more our current culture says this, the more I have, the happier I'll be. The more that you have, the more that you possess, then the happier you'll be. In fact, our current culture's definition of happiness is, is this, more than you currently have, right? I mean, because here's the interesting part about it is the more I have, the happier I'll be. But the problem is you get something and you're happy for like a second. That new car, like, woohoo! And then it's not new. I, I remember getting a new watch. I'm like, yeah. And then it's not new. And happiness, our current definition of happiness is more, more than we currently have. And in this passage, you'll actually see three things that is a revolutionary way of life. We're only going to talk about one of them. First, Paul is going to address our perspective and how we see life. That's verse 17. Verse 18, he's going to address our practices and how we live out life. Because how we see life always informs how we live out our life every single time. And then verse 19, in week three, what we're going to talk about is a promise for those who embrace a whole new way of looking at life life. But if you, if you missed it, here's the big idea of verse 17. Money and things promise what only God can provide. 
You want to answer the question, why is it that more rarely satisfies? Why is it that those in a third world country can seem to have nothing but be filled with joy and hope and life and come back radically changed? Because there's this subtle subtlety of money, subtlety of stuff that says, Hey, money's trying to provide for you and supply for you what only God can. Happiness, security, significance, purpose. Now, let me tell you why for so long we've missed this passage. And it's right at the very beginning. Command those who are what? Rich. This is a passage for rich people. How many are rich? We got a few hands. Yeah. 90% of Americans, and we're going to go over to their house after lunch too. (laughs) Thank you. 90% of Americans don't identify themselves as rich because we always look at rich people as one or two steps ahead of us, don't we? See, rich people, take this, rich people have a house for their cars. You ever notice that? I mean, rich people, they literally have a house that's built for their cars. Rich people, rich people have so much extra food that they created this this contraption that keeps it cold for longer. Rich people have, have rooms. I mean, this is crazy, it's crazy. Rich people have rooms that, where they keep their extra clothes. I mean, it's just like they have three, four, five, ten shirts. I mean, s- some rich women have like ten pairs of shoes. Some guys too. <laughs> See, the definition of rich is having more than you need. Extra. The reason we miss this and the reason in America that's been given the most amount of resources, we live in this scarcity mentality is none of us would really, outside of like having a biblical concept, say we're rich. Command those, he says this, command those who are rich, and then what you'll notice, in this present world, and there's two traps for rich people, and here's what I gotta say. In this room, if you earn $40,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of wage earners in the world. So some of you, you're like, yeah, Ryan, you're right. I am not rich. I'm a college student, but chances are you live in America and so you'll become rich. So you gotta pay attention. But more there's more people in this room who are technically rich in the, in the grand scheme of the world. And so as a result, this applies to you and to me. And he says there's two traps, two temptations that rich people experience, that rich people buy into. And I think it's the traps that, that we so often buy into that keep us living a revolutionary life, keep us experiencing satisfaction. We buy into the, the traps of what money promises. And, and it's this. First, is, he says this, arrogance. Not to be arrogant. You're like, I'm not arrogant. By the way, no one sees arrogance in the mirror. Okay? No one says, yes, I'm arrogant. And I am a jerk. 
Everyone else sees it, but they don't see it. And here's, here's what it looks like. Arrogance says this, my stuff makes me a somebody. Have you bought into that? My stuff, what I own, makes me a somebody. That car that you drive makes you a somebody. That, that house that you have makes you a somebody. Uh, you know, that family that looks exactly right makes you a somebody. That education you have in that workplace that you work, that makes you a somebody. And you're like, well, I don't have any of that. Ah, look at my clothes. And yet you're pursuing all that because you believe it makes you a somebody. Haven't you had it? I mean, come on. Does it keep going off? Um, haven't you had it where you've gotten a new item of clothes? Or maybe it's just me. I was talking about my watch earlier. I remember getting a new watch. And this is so silly. And I got a new watch, and I walked around my school like I was the big man on campus. You know, I'm like, what's up? Hey. All of a sudden, a new watch somehow in my mind made me a somebody and 10 times cooler than I actually was. And I walked around with this strut and it's so silly and it's so, and yet we buy into it all the time. You are not your stuff. I I am not what I have. That's not what makes me who I am. I am not what, where I live. I am not what I wear or what I drive. And the first trap we buy into is my stuff makes me a somebody. Because money's always saying, hey, I want to provide for you what only God can provide. And so when you buy into that, it keeps us from living the generous life and the perspective shift. Okay, only God, only God can do that. Second thing that we buy into, it says here, or put our hope in wealth, put our trust. And if the first is in the area of our identity, the second is in the area of our security says, my stuff will ultimately satisfy. It will ultimately come through. It may not right now, but, but you know what? I, I can't be generous. I can't give because i got to take care of my family. i got to take care of me first. And he realized, hey, the more I have, man, then I'll be financially secure. And when I'm financially independent and secure, man, I'll, I'll be good. My stuff will ultimately satisfy. And here's the truth. If you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. That's a quote from Cool Runnings, the old Disney movie, by the way. I was watching it with my kids Friday, and I'm like, oh, i got to write that down. That was really good. (laughs) See, the perspective shift that must happen for us to be a community and this is true, by the way, not only if you, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, because here's the thing, money and things will always promise, always promise what only God can provide. And maybe this is your anthem. Money and things will never fulfill me. And you just got to say it and say it over and say it over again because everything's drawing you to that next thing will make you a somebody and will satisfy your greatest need. Yeah, let's, let's try it. Okay, money and things will never fulfill me. Can you just say that with, for me? Ready? Money and things will never fulfill me. 
Now, eventually you'll say it and you'll actually believe it. Um, (laughs) See, a revolutionary way of life is first thinking and realizing you're rich. You have more than you need. If you have extra, if you carry in your pocket an instrument that can both take video and a camera and web and social media, you're rich. And so as a result, there are things that lure and are specific targets for rich people. They're first world problems. And where you go, okay. By the way, I'm not going to buy into that my stuff makes me a somebody. And I'm not going to buy into that my stuff will somehow satisfy me or make me feel significant. But then he finishes up the verse here. He says, if that's the negative command, then he says, but, but, put your hope in God who richly, who, what, richly provides. And I love how he, how he says it too. For our enjoyment. Do you notice that God's not down on rich people? That God's not angry, that he's not like, oh, shame on you, you have money. Shame on you, you have extra. In fact, he says this in the whole context. He says, by the way, I've given you all of this so that you can leverage what you have for good and enjoy what I've given you. And so I'm going to do something here, and I'm going to skip all the way to the very last point just because I got so excited at the front and we'll teach this next point next week, okay? Generosity, and this is a perspective shift, is the pathway to truly enjoying God. It's your very last point. We'll fill in the blanks next week on the, on the other one. Generosity is the pathway to truly enjoying what God has provided. Two major perspective shifts. Money and things will never provide for you what only God can. And as long as you keep running after stuff, you'll have a lot and be empty on the inside. And I just promise you, having a good buddy that I've been talking with for a while and he's really close to coming to know Jesus, do you know why? Do you know why he's so close to coming to know Jesus? Because he's lived his whole life trying to figure out how he can make more, have more, and be at the top of his industry, and he succeeded. And he looked around, and he said, this is empty. I need meaning and purpose in my life, and what I thought would provide that didn't. And so at 50-ish, he's wrestling. And God says this, put your hope, put your trust in God. You you say, God, here I am. What I have, my money, my time, my energy, my resources, none of it will satisfy me but you. You. 
I'm gonna put my hope and my life and my trust in you. And he says, when you do that, the God who richly provided everything for you, you step into a way of living where you actually get to enjoy life. Stingy people don't enjoy their stuff. You ever notice that? You ever, like, gone out with stingy people? You ever had to split the check with stingy people? I did that the other day at my friend's birthday, and my brother and I, you know, we end up with one guy, like, paid and bolted. Unbelievable. I mean, he didn't even cover his part of the check, and my brother and I, you know, it's someone else's birthday. Always make sure the birthday guy doesn't pay, and so we're, you know, throwing down cash. But stingy people don't enjoy their stuff because they cling so tightly to their stuff that their stuff has a tight cling on them. And so as a result, they're not able to enjoy what God has richly provided them because they're afraid of losing it. See, the more you have doesn't make you happier. It just means you have more to lose. And the more you have, the more you have to worry about and be anxious about and be stressed about. And so if your life and your, your significance is caught up in having, then the minute you don't have it or the minute that's on the edge of not having it or the minute you hit a road bump, then you're like, whoa! And all peace is gone. See, Could it be that far too many people are living with money in the bank but no peace in their heart? God. God richly provided that you would leverage what you have for good, that instead of tightly clinging, you would open up your hands and say, it's all God's anyways. And so you have it and you use it and you show me what to do and I will do it. He says, in doing that, releasing your grip, he says, you'll actually get to enjoy. Enjoy what God has given you. In fact, generosity does this, by the way. Generosity will produce a heart of contentment in you. Instead of being discontent about next and what I don't have, you go, okay, I got I have a heart of contentment because you're like, it's all God's. Generosity Generosity will will position you to experience the blessing of God in your life. And there's so many verses on this. I don't have time, but Jesus said this. It's, It's more blessed to give than receive. He says there's something powerful that happens in you when your perspective shifts. Instead of getting, I go to giving. He says, I I want you, I want you to experience that. And by the way, when you're generous, you end up with way more of what matters most. The relationships that matter most. The time that isn't wasted around pursuing stuff, but the things that matter most. When when you begin to take hold of life, that's truly life. Generosity is the pathway to truly enjoying God. When we change what we believe, our behavior changes. When we change what you believe about something, your perspective, then how you live changes. And so here's what I would invite you to do, and we'll talk more about what this looks like. 
I would ask you, I would challenge you to put God first in your finances. And we got, we're going to unpack that whole concept next week and how to practice and how to do good. But I would ask you to put God first in your finances. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, it begins with what's called a tithe, where you just say 10%. I'm going to entrust the first and the best to God. Because the last doesn't take faith, by the way. You give at the end of the month, that's not faith. That's just extra. You go, I got a little extra, I can give it to you, God. You start at the beginning and say, God, I'm going to give you 10%. And the New Testament teaches proportional giving. So if you, God gives you more, you give more. 10% is just the starting point. So man, college students, you make 100 bucks a week, go, okay, $10. And if there's anything where you think, man, Ingram just wants money for awakening. That's, that's, not, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Give somewhere else. Give to World Vision. Give to Compassion International. Give to a worthy cause. But it is for your sake that you might enjoy and experience God at the depth of your being that I ask you and invite you to do it. I challenge you. Try it for 90 days. Try it for 90 days and see. See, this is the only area in Scripture that God invites us to test him in. Where you go, okay, God, you have it all. Perspective shift, I'm rich. Perspective shift, money will never provide or fulfill me. It can't provide what God can do in my life. So I'm going to entrust my stuff to God. And in that way, as we begin this journey, we'll become a community that is committed and unleashes extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for how you're building and growing us up in you. Thank you for the people who give generously of their time, who set up this morning, who give generously of their time, who are, who are with our kids right now, who, who give generously of their lives and serve in every capacity and their, their strengths. And God, thank you for those who give generously of their, their money. And how it has allowed for us to reach people to come to know you and, and to create space for people to encounter you. God, thank you for that. And God, we ask that you would make us a generous people that runs and pursues after you. And that as a result sees this city and this world change. In Jesus' name.